As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. Uh, you know, it's good to be back here and to do the study. And uh, we are uh, staying in Chennai. Uh, for those of you who may not know, we have a family home here. And uh, so we are staying in a house which is kind of an apartment style. And I'm on the first floor. And so uh, outside is a little noisy. So you may have distractions. Don't worry. Uh, there is a dog which starts barking at every vehicle that goes by. Uh, and I hope it doesn't distract you. Uh, and uh, this semester, I think last uh, week, last time when we met, it was November sometime, and we completed our series on the book of Mark. And uh, what was most important is to see Jesus as the early church saw him, you know, the way he ministered and the areas of focus. And we concluded our study by looking at uh, the you know his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, which was basically spent in teaching, and we closed our study with one particular chapter, uh, which was about the end times. I'm not sure whether we can actually name it as such, but uh, what triggered off that conversation, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the words of Jesus, you know, when they looked at the temple and they admired the construction and they told Jesus, they brought it to Jesus' attention. And then Jesus said, uh, not one stone will stay on another. So that is where, you know, they asked him, when is it going to happen? And then he's taught about, you know, the temple being destroyed and uh, signs that we will see and ended up by talking about his own coming. And in that context, when we were looking at uh, what the end times and all the prophecies that are being, uh, you know, today being talked about, I think there was a suggestion that we study the book of Revelation. Now, so that's what we are going to do. Um, we're not going to do a thorough verse by verse study of the book of Revelation, but I'm going to look at sections on it. And I hope you will uh, read and come. Uh, when we do the study. Now, the book of Revelation, it's uh, not an easy book to understand. Uh, and because one, uh, it's very different from many of the other books of the Bible, uh, because it's largely trying to communicate what the writer sees. He's talking about visions. Perhaps the closest book to that would be the book of Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel sees a lot of uh, visions and sees things happening. And he tries to communicate what he sees. It's very different from the other prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, where it is very, uh, even though they have few visions there, largely it is the word of the Lord which comes to them and they very faithfully communicate the word of the Lord. Now, uh, John is not doing that. John has got words which he records and very faithfully communicates, but a lot of images. And uh, so when we look at the book of uh, Revelation, we must understand the way it is written is largely with a lot of uh, images. And uh, so to capture that and to understand that itself is a difficult process. And uh, the, in the Old Testament, we have similar books like Daniel and Ezekiel, as I said, which have a lot of pictures, which uh, the, uh, the person sees. But it, on the other hand, it is not unique uh, because uh, God communicates this way. The title is Revelation. It starts off with chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. So the words is... Revelation is something that is to be shown. 
Now, so the Bible is very clear. God reveals himself. And I think it's very important for us to understand that because when you talk about the God of the Bible, it's not, he's not someone who we arrive at by our philosophical conclusions. All that we know about God is basically through his revelation. That is how we know about God. So when we read this book, it's all about God's revelation. Now, how many of you, uh, you know, I'm sure, sure during the break and all, you know, you watched a lot of online uh, descriptions and things like that. Uh, you know, did you ever come across any teaching in which people try to uh, connect what is happening in the world today to what they understand in the Bible? Have you come across me? Because there's always, you know, an activity where people are... Uh, trying to connect what is happening to what is in the scripture. So did you come across any such efforts? Any, anyone? I'm sure you did uh, read or you, because I remember last year in March, April, when the lockdown was announced and the COVID vaccine, you know, COVID, uh, the virus, the coronavirus was spreading, there was a lot of, uh, you know, you know, on YouTube and articles written as to why is God, what is happening, where is God in all these things. And I think slowly by October, November, they decided that uh, it, it's a very hard exercise trying to find out what, where God is because uh, he, he seemed to have not expressed any opinion about coronavirus. So I think slowly that dropped out uh, but did you come across anything like that, trying to, or did you yourself have a struggle as to trying to understand uh, what is happening and how does it relate to what the Bible talks about? Now you can, uh, I think you can unmute and talk, but then uh, put yourself back onto mute so that there's no disturbance. Anyone? I remember Tom Wright, N.T. Wright writing in the beginning an article uh, which uh, some people were not happy with, I think. Gee, I'm sure that you have been grappling with the issues or any issues any particular issues that come to your mind when we think about what is happening? You know, it's not, I'm not talking about coronavirus in particular, a lot of things that are happening. We see the increasing uh, violence uh, in many parts of the world where the state itself uh, is involved in harassing people or oppressing people. We see in the breakdown of values in many parts. And I wonder if any of you have ever tried to grapple with uh, your knowledge of the scripture and how does it connect? I I just read some funny articles in the beginning uh, when, you know, one nation was trying to blame the other nations and the Christians of those nations were trying to blame the other nations, how that nation is totally in sin. And that's why, like, you know, Corona came from that particular nation or uh, if there is a violence, too much violence in one nation. So, you know, why that nation is the one so violent. But then at the end of the day, when Corona spread throughout the world, I mean, <laughs> it means the whole world is in sin, according to those theses yeah. that yeah. came in the beginning of the year of 2020. So yeah, some of those which I really did not subscribe to, but I read a, quite a lot of them. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's true, Pritika. Yeah, trying to blame somebody as uh, the reason for God's punishment. Uncle, yeah. I also remember a video that was widely shared in social media. And uh, in this video, they showed a lot of uh, apparently a gathering of gay people and they were celebrating. And this was in Italy. And so the video, the message was that uh, the number of deaths in Italy was you know, so much higher than in other countries because God was punishing them 
for you know being for having these many gay people and stuff like that and mm-hmm. yeah again like Ritika said that was something that I didn't agree with but that was one way in which the what do you say the word of God was being misused mm-hmm. yeah true very true I don't think uh, it's just the fact that uh, Christians alone uh, use religion to condemn people i've said uh, i've read uh, i don't know much about islam maybe they did in some countries but i know hindu uh, priests or some people talking about uh, certain you know the punishment as a punishment and uh, so i think uh, very one of the ways in which people handle uh, current happenings in relation to their own faith is to when things go wrong they try it and can try and connect it as a punishment and when things go well they can they try to communicate it as blessing so uh, i think that there is always the tendency to interpret what is happening around us in terms of uh, you know either punishment or blessing and uh, i think that's always the tendency of people who have religion and people who don't have religion when times are bad they actually immediately ask the question where is god and uh, raise the question as why is god allowing these things even if they don't generally believe in god and when things go right they claim that it is basically their own human success and human thinking and i suppose that's how it is and uh, so it's not wrong to ask the question as to Uh, what is happening and what does the our own knowledge of the scripture tell us and especially for us as uh, christians i think the issue is um, we have a god who is somebody who has said that he makes covenant and keeps covenants and a god who says uh, behold i am doing new things which you have not heard and he also claims that uh, he is the one who set things and those things happen so it is not wrong for us to go to the scripture to find out whether there is anything in the scripture which connects to our situation now this is the context in which the bible has books like revelation and many other books now one of the important things to understand is that not only about the book of revelation but whenever you come across a scripture which uh, has like some kind of uh, prophecy or something which talks about end times or not just end times even other times uh, you know there is a passage itself in the scripture and then there is an interpretation now the interpretation sometimes vary from each people now we can't say technically to say that this interpretation is right or that interpretation is right because somehow they all look very right and uh, we have to be just careful in what we do but important thing is that as i read somewhere uh, you know the not read i was listening to some talk where the person said you know even jesus first coming the pharisees and the scribes interpreted the scripture in a way that uh, they could not recognize the first coming now god doesn't act according to our interpretations he acts according to his prophecy you know so very important you know he doesn't fulfill the interpretation he fulfills the prophecy the scripture is very clear it says you know jesus said every word that he said will happen heaven and earth may go away but his word will not go away and uh, he said i have come to fulfill the law so very important for us is to constantly read up or you know when you are going through a situation to find out what is the interpretation and how do people interpret the scripture and so interpretation is a very important part of uh, this thing by of understanding the scripture but on the other hand the problem with passages like this which are basically uh, very uh, you know very graphic it's very hard to actually pinpoint 
uh, you know, what, how to read it. So Revelation is a difficult book, as I said, but it is not a unique book because there are books like Daniel and books like uh, Ezekiel. And so what I'm going to do is uh, to look at the, the book of Revelation, as I said, in ter terms of certain sections as we go on. And, uh, and even before that, I want to say something else about the book of Revelation. It is a book which its intention, even though it has details about what would happen and how it is going to happen, you know, we must understand that the people of Israel and the people of the word, the people of God in the scripture, were people who understood God as a God who makes promises and a God who keeps promises. Sometimes the expectation may not happen during their lifetime. And the prophets are a great example. They actually prophesied a lot of things. And the Bible says they were eager to see what even what they prophesied even if they didn't understand they were eager to see the fulfillment of it and uh, but what happened is that the prophetic word was a word in which uh, people found hope so you know all through even when you look at uh, the before the coming of jesus you know for 400 years there was a total silence there was no there were no more prophets there was nobody giving a prophetic word but what happens is that, that the people held on to these words because they believed when God says, God will do it. God will do it. And so they held on to it. And they, in fact, not just held on to it uh, in a way that uh, they just hoped that it will happen. But many of them, in fact, lived up you know, to the hope that they had. You have people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and many others like uh, Joseph of Aramithia and others who are mentioned. These were all people who not just had hope, but their hope was translated into a life which was called righteous and blameless. So these were people who waited for 400 years and, uh, you know, the whole community of faith, community of hope. It is in that context and God's prophetic word is largely something that is given to give us hope. And I believe that is what we need to look at when we look at Revelation. Because what happened is this community of hope, which goes right from the beginning, from Abraham onwards, you know, there is this community of hope that expected God to act. When God makes a promise, he does it. And this community of hope was the one which, you know, came into uh, birth when the Holy Spirit came on the early disciples and the church was born and Paul would say, I am on trial for hope. So, and many, one by one, despite the hope that they had that God was going to establish his kingdom, people were also being persecuted and people were actually dying. And uh, so what was happening is that they held on to the hope. Sometimes they grieved. They grieved that uh, they grieved that because uh, they uh, lost loved ones. So Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, would tell them that you should not grieve like the rest of the world. You know, Christ will come, and those who had died will come with him. The rest of us will be caught up in the air. So basically, they held on to that hope that one day God is going to come and establish His kingdom. And uh, but one by one, the leaders were being killed, and perhaps the last of the early disciples who died was John the ba John himself. And so this book of Revelation was written by John, and John was actually in a place called Patmos. He was put there because of his faith. He says because of the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, because of a strong belief. Now, when John was there, put into a kind of a island where he cannot see anyone, you know, it was more like a seclusion, you know, punishment. And John perhaps was concerned about what was happening. John was an older man. He died very late. I, I don't know how old he was, but uh, I think according to biblical historians, he would have been, you know, not very old compared to um, old today. He would have been in his late 60s or early 70s. But Bible says that maybe he did. No, history says he died a little later than that. 
And so he must have been very troubled with the fact of what was happening and what, uh, you know, the uncertainty about the future because the church was a persecuted community. And it is in that context that the book of Revelation or the revelation comes to John, basically to promote hope. So revelation was not given so that we can sit and identify as many people do as to who is 666. And, uh, you know, especially, uh, I don't know why that is the identification of the Antichrist is a major occupation among American Christians. You know, every American president, their name is uh, looked at and studied and somehow they'll find out that Obama was 666 and before that was Henry Kissinger. And somehow Trump escaped, uh, I think, uh, uh, he, maybe there, he didn't have enough uh, letters in his name to find 666. But, you know, now I'm sure they will find Joe Biden also uh, or Kamala Harris. Now, now, the Bible is not written so that we can sit and do a kind of uh, identification of who the enemy is and uh, who, who are the Antichrist people and things like that. It was given, basically, the book of Revelation is a book of, book of hope. And that's basically the line that I would take when I read the book of Revelation. And as we look at it in detail. So keep, you know, study it and come, read it and come. But today I just wanted to give this longer introduction and just give you an outline of what is in the book. Revelation 1, uh, you know, is the book of Revelation is divided into three or four major sections. Uh, chapter 1 uh, till the end of chapter 3 uh, is basically John receiving uh, messages for the seven churches. That's what it is. And so you will find the church in Ephesus, church in Pergamum, church in Smyrna. There are letters. Now, I'm not going to look at that section at all because the main interest is not so much to study the book of Revelation word by word, but to study Revelation in the context of what does the Bible say in terms of the direction of history? That's basically what we want to look at. So in, in a, sorry, a Revelation chapter 1 to the end of chapter 3, there are these series of letters. And uh, these are all dictated to John. And John you know, faithfully communicates it to the seven churches. Then in chapter 4 and 5, that is where the whole revelation starts. And the revelation starts with, uh, you know, John being lifted up. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, I saw before me a door standing open in heaven. One of the best commentaries on the book of Revelation, the title of the book, is, is I saw heaven open. And uh, captures it so well. That's what John is talking about. John sees heaven open. And then the man who was speaking to him says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven. So John is taken into a new world, a different world. And he sees things happening. So chapter four onwards till almost the end of the book of Revelation is John seeing things and uh, John was sometimes writing immediately or many times he wrote after the vision was over. And it's quite difficult, you know, very difficult trying to explain someone to somebody what you have seen. I know even if you were to go for a movie and then tell them, you know, it's very hard to tell the details of what we see. Uh, and John did a great effort, you know, of course, by the help of the Holy Spirit. And there were certain things when John started writing, he was told not to write. And uh, there are certain things that uh, which John saw, which he didn't write, as we know. And so this is from chapter four onwards. It's a whole lot of things that John sees. But from four onwards, uh, four and five is uh, John being introduced to the worship in heaven. And I want to come back to that. And today, that is what I want to look at, uh, because that's a very important focus. And then starts with chapter six. And the revelation is a little confusing. 
because there are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven woes, three woes, and you know all those seven plagues, and you don't know whether they are one after another because similar actions happen when some of the you know when the trumpet is blown and when the uh, seven seals, when seals are open. So some Bible scholars would say. These are seven things that happen which are seen and communicated in different ways. And some would say, no, it is linked to each other. They come one after another. We will look at it as we go on. So starting with chapter 6, verse 1, and almost till the end of uh, 12th chapter, there are these seven seals, seven trumpets, and all these things. But I believe the central verse in this whole section is a verse in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, which says, then war broke out in heaven. I think that's a very important title. And uh, when you look at Revelation, Revelation is talking about things happening on earth, things happening in heaven. But the key here is that there is a war in heaven. I'm not sure how many of you have uh, read a book called... Uh, God at War, and uh, it's a brilliant uh, Bible, you know, uh, book written by uh, I forget the name. I know the person. I can give you the name later. Uh, it's called God at War, and a brilliant study about you know the whole creation and towards the end what happens. And the writer is saying there is a war in heaven, and here is where Revelation talks about it, saying there was a war in heaven. And that's a very important verse to keep in mind. So because when sometimes when we get involved in issues on earth, we think as though it's all about things around us. And that's why Paul would write and say that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but our fight is against principalities and powers. And that is what Revelation would say. There was a war in heaven. And then what happens is it moves on. And then in chapter 17, there is this very important section where the nation Babylon is uh, introduced and there is a fight against Babylon. And finally, that Babylon is destroyed. Now, we don't know whether, you know, there are different people who would say, well, you know, the word Babylon, of course, is a very uh, popular name. In the scripture, the Babylonian, uh, you know, kings were there. And then later on, you know, we even have a place called Babylon, uh, you know. So that is one way to look at it. But also there are people who try to identify Babylon with any particular nation. And But I believe that it is not simply a nation. It's a whole system that is mentioned here because when you read it, we'll, we'll find out. And so finally, in chapter 19, Babylon is brought down. And uh, chapter 19 and 20 conclude this whole section. And then we have 21 and 22, which talks about the new heaven and new earth. So it's a very important book, especially as we talk about engagement in mission, engagement in the world. It's good to know because we are called to be engaged, but also we must remember there is a timetable of God. You know, and every generation was engaged and with hope. But we must eventually understand the world happens according to God's timetable. That's basically what we are going to uh, look at in Revelation as we go on in the days to come. But today I wanted to look at just at the chapter four and five, and then we will close. As I said, uh, the important thing for, uh, you know, John is to see what happens in heaven. Because John was on, on earth and the church is being persecuted. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, discouragement. People are concerned as to what is happening. Jesus said he'll come back. It hasn't happened. And John is now the last of the leaders who is going to be killed. And he sees this vision. He's taken into heaven. And to understand that what happens on earth and what happens in heaven, there is a link. That's what John sees. And so in chapter 4, uh, I want to look at 4 and 5. And I said, very important as we get into the book of Revelation, is that it is placed in such a way that 4 and 5 starts with what happens in heaven essentially. 
is that it is not a room in which God is planning war. It's, but it is a room where God is being worshipped. And that is what uh, John sees. He goes up and he sees significant worship taking place in heaven. That's what it is all about. So when you see chapter 4, he goes up and he says, I was in the spirit. And once I was there, he said, the one who sat on the throne, and he's talking about God, and an appearance of jasper and ruby, you know, supposed to be those which portray for us a beauty. And then a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, crystal, as clear as crystal. So John arrives in heaven. And one of the first things that strikes him that it is all about God and his glory. You know, we may have a lot of pictures of heaven. You know, we have, you know, Sunday school songs which tell us how heaven looks like. And there are people who think heaven is full of houses, you know, because Jesus said, I, I'll go and prepare a place for you and all those things. But what strikes John about heaven is the centrality of God. Very important. And images that are portrayed when John talks about it, is image in which there is glory, there is beauty. But also he puts in, there is a rainbow. Rainbow, if you remember, was a picture of God's mercy. But not just mercy, there is also, he says, you know, the flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. It's not just a place of mercy, it's also a place of judgment. And then he says, there is a whole thing which is directed by God. He talks about a phrase here. He says there are seven spirits of God. Now we must be careful. We're not talking about God having seven spirits. Bible scholars would say that in Isaiah, there are seven characteristics of the spirit. So when it talks about seven spirits, it talks about the spirit with sevenfold characteristics. That's basically how the Holy Spirit is seen, seen in the book of Isaiah. And a very important emphasis here. So it talks about there, it's the spirit of God. And in the front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as a crystal. There's a kind of a transparent situation. There's beauty, there is mercy, there is judgment. And then it goes on to say that as the, you know, the, when he sees the throne, he sees, you know, a lot of things that are happening there. And interestingly, it says in verse uh, eight, that day and night, you know, all these, he gives pictures of living creatures looking very different. They are never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor for you created all things, for you will be there. By your will, they were created and have their being. John noticed that heaven is preoccupied with acknowledging the creator God. Very important. Heaven is preoccupied with acknowledging the creator God. And it is all the time talking about God's holiness. God is pure. God is holy. And God is the one who is worthy or to receive glory and honor and power because God is the creator God. So that's what John sees there. John goes to heaven and he's taken into the worship or to the throne room. And what he sees is that heaven is a place where God is acknowledged as God. You know, Jesus said in his prayer, teaching his prayer to the disciples, he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, there is no other will that is done. 
and let your kingdom come. That's what. So, you know, John gets a picture of what happens in heaven. And he talks about 24 elders. Now, Bible scholars have always struggled with what is this 24? Who is it talking about? And because if it is 12, it's easy to say that, you know, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, we can't say two representatives from each tribe. So many Bible scholars would say it's a way of communicating both the tribes of Israel and the church itself. So it is, you know, because the 12 tribes of Israel and church in terms of being present. So this is very representative that in heaven, the elders would mean both the leaders of Israel or the tribes of Israel and the people of God who are from all communities, all kingdoms of the world, the Gentiles, as sometimes the Bible uses it. So interestingly, everybody is involved in that worship. And so it says, they fall before him who sits on the throne and worship him. They lay their crowns before the throne. There's no place for their own particular power. And that's a picture of heaven. And I think it's very important, you know, John gets to see it. Because John is worried about the things that are happening on earth. And when they sing the songs, they're talking about God who reigns. And then he sees on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides. Now, this is what was going to be opened later on and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll and open the scroll. Now it's not as though they were putting a, you know, they were, this was happening every day, but perhaps John was able to see something which was put on a special performance for John so that he can see not just the place that God is worshiped, but also the place of Jesus. And so they said, who's going to open the scroll? No one in heaven on earth, under the earth, could open the scroll and even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the Lion of Judah, the tribe of Judah, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb slain, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God, the God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain with your blood, you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and, or, and nation. You made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. You know, what happens is that John is seeing this, the centrality of God in chapter four and he sees in chapter five, the centrality of Jesus. There we talked about God worthy of honor because he's the creator God holy. And here what we are seeing is the centrality of Jesus because he laid down his life for us. Heaven celebrates who God is and it celebrates what God did for us. That's what it is all about. And so John sees them and they're singing and a very interesting verse is that when they join in their worship of the lamb, it says they were holding, each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So in the celebration in heaven, in the worship in heaven, not only are the people in heaven participating, but even people on earth, the people who are God's people, because the prayers from earth are collected into the incense that is offered before God. 
And so it's very important for us when we think of prayer, it's not simply a message that goes up from earth. It's actually that which adds to the worship in heaven. And later on, we'll see how God acts on the basis of these prayers, because what happens in history on earth is influenced by the prayers that we offer. But here we join in the worship. And so it says here, the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. And the song was basically saying how the lamb had bought people by his own blood. People from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you made them kingdom and priests. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth, under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb to be praised and honor and glory forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What John saw was a whole worship session happening in heaven in which God was central and his work of redemption was recollected. And the whole of creation, all the nations, and its numbers are, you know, later on we'll see these numbers being talked about. You know, numbers are not only humans. It talks about all creatures on earth, in heaven, and under the earth, and the sea. And all of them will say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You know, so the centrality of worship. So even before we enter, before John begins to see all that is going to happen, what visions he's going to see, the important thing is to understand that your ability to see what is in Revelation is basically what happens in these two chapters. You see it as a worshiper. You know, because John definitely was concerned, concerned as to what is happening on earth. And what he saw in heaven is God is on the throne. Because sometimes when we see things happening on earth, we get very confused. We wonder whether God is on. And so what God does is he doesn't solve the problems immediately for John. John was killed eventually. And the church continued to be persecuted. But they had hope. They knew that eventually that's what the book of Revelation talks about. Because at the end of the day, you know, in chapter 1, when John greets the church, he says about Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness. He says in chapter 1 and verse 3, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. You know, we can see a lot of things going wrong on earth and the kings of the earth doing things which are totally, totally against what God is doing. But the book of Revelation shows how God deals with these nations. Some are very powerful and they use all sorts of ways. And there is a war in heaven. And that's what revelation. But first, we need to have an attitude of being a worshiper. So let me stop now and uh, open it for questions. I know that uh, Zoom conversation is not uh, a good way to talk for more time. You know, I've already taken a long time. So I thought I'll let you ask questions. But this is basically an introduction. You know, what I said was revelation is part of the hope that God gives us. It's not simply a standalone. It is given in order to create or to build the community of hope. Secondly, it is a book which helps us to understand the connection with what happens on earth and what's happening in heaven. And the centrality of the church as we go on, we will notice that. Any questions? Uh, I'm sure others will also have, but just want to sort of uh, break the ice and uh, not to waste time. I um, I found it quite uh, I don't know it it's such a um, different perspective when you say that uh, you 
read the book of revelations with uh, how do you say uh, as a book of hope uh, because when we read of we read revelations or think about uh, the things that are described in revelations it's usually about judgment and all of those terrible things that happen on the earth so i i mean revelation was the least book in my mind when it comes to hope so i, I mean i found it very interesting when you approach the book of revelations as one on hope that was that's something that i mean it's very very new to me because uh, revelation is definitely a book which we would call it as part of the prophetic tradition you know where the prophets saw visions or prophets received the word of god and uh, the hope of the people of israel in the old testament was the prophetic word they did not have hope simply on historic events of the past of course they talked about uh, you know coming out of egypt and uh, the liberation from egypt and things like that but their hope was basically built on the prophetic words so the prophetic words in a way both communicated god's judgment but it also communicated hope the kingdom of god is totally uh, you know located in the prophetic uh, books you know the concept of the kingdom so i would say i would follow the same tradition that revelation was given now it's not hope for everybody but definitely hope for the people of god anyone else you can uh, put on your video and ask a question uh, and of course you have to unmute anyone else you can uh, feel free to ask uh, jereen and uh, udio and lenoro if you also have questions you are free to ask um yeah hmm. uh, uncle sorry uh, maybe others will also ask i, I was also quite fascinated with uh, um what you described and also is written as a uh, golden balls full of incense that is the prayers of the saints i mean when you talk about the prayers being offered from earth participating in the worship in heaven that is again totally <laughs> mind blowing read it again in chapter 8 also later on you will find this prayers of the saints in the incense and how it is used in terms of act things on earth okay. you know it's collected in heaven and its fruit result is seen on earth yeah. okay if you don't have any more questions you know of course lozan you can ask another question if you want to but uh, yeah, nobody has a question maybe i'll just uh, tell you what i'll do next time so that you can come prepared uncle i have a question yeah uh because when it comes to revelation we seems to have a lot of uh, different perspective linear dream millennial and things like that so i don't know like when there's so many perspective how do you uh, look at the bible and interpret the bible especially yeah that's that's as i said earlier there are different interpretations uh now they can't do anything about it because uh, in, from the old testament we know that the old testament prophetic words uh, were interpreted but eventually uh, the when it was like for instance uh, a virgin shall have a child or uh, other prophetic words that uh, were written um, there were different interpretations even before jesus came and then when jesus arrived uh, as i said one of the bible scholars says he never fulfilled the interpretation he fulfilled what was written in the word so i think one of our biggest difficulty would be interpreting you know now, now till now it is easy you know but uh, when as we get into chapter 6 onwards and also the sequence of happenings and uh, like you said uh, when you come closer to the end Uh, we have the thousand years 
and is it real it is actual or is it just because what happens is prophetic uh, literature is always uh, read and understood in the other context of other similar uh, happenings mentioned in other prophetic books and uh, so the whole issue is if this is said here was it said in other places and we'll come to that uh, later on uh, when we talk but it is definitely the interpretation maybe at that time you can ask a question because that's the biggest problem in the book of revelation not only revelation all prophetic books Did I answer your question uh, yes I'm yeah we will come to it later okay. yeah Okay, here I'm going to conclude. So what I'm going to do next time when you come, if you can read and come chapter six to chapter nine. Okay, chapter six to nine. Uh, we will look at that because it, you know, it moves fast, but at the same time, uh, there are a lot of details which we have to look at. It's not very difficult to read it, but definitely difficult to understand. So chapter six to chapter nine will be our reading for next Tuesday. So we'll close with prayer. And uh, again, Apila uh, will send you the link for the next time. And we hope that uh, by the time you will come uh, ready for questions and interaction. Uh, okay, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for your word, uh, which you have given to us. Thank you for keeping it for us, God. We know that uh, these are very important words that you have left for us because it says that these are things that would happen, but give us wisdom to understand. And we pray that you'll direct us. We thank you that we can start again the Bible study and we pray for JNUCF in a very special way in this year, God, even as the earlier students are coming back and fresh students are joining, in spite of the fact that it is online, we pray that you'll work out ways by which we can meet each other face to face. Thank you for being with us. And especially, God, I thank you for those who, are, who found time to work on their studies during this long break. And thank you for the new students who have joined pray that they will find community of hope in JNU God. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Anchor. I'm going to stop the recording now. Yeah. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas Podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.